0: You're listening to Creative Rituals with me, artist and illustrator Georgie Stewart. This is a new podcast about the daily habits of artistic life. Each week I'll be asking writers, artists, musicians and all kinds of creatives about how exactly they get down to it and make great work. How do artists plan their day to generate and protect their creativity? My guest this week is the artist and planner painter Deborah Last. I met Deborah in Devon, where last year she undertook the colossal and ambitious project Painting the Year. 365 paintings, one from each day of the year, all created outside. Fundamental to her practice is a deep connection to the landscape, having painted so many of the extraordinary places that dominate North Devon. Alongside her own work, Deborah runs art classes both in person and online. I visited Debs in her North Devon studio just before she moved out to the Cotswolds.
1: Gosh, it's going to be hard to leave
0: because you're leaving, aren't you? You've left, really, You've left, really so yeah. So we've
1: kind of been up working and... Wow. Well, Pete's working, I'm not working. I haven't done anything since we've moved almost. I've been. But this is my space. Oh, it's got such and a lovely feel light. to it. Oh, thank you. It's kind of funny to be in this, really. Having had such a disciplined year last year... Oh, well, I've just brought Pete's watch down. And then now, you know, it's like, what am I doing? <laughs> It all smells a little bit musty because it's not been here for a bit. It's
0: super tight. It smells like art to me. That's nice. (laughs) Studio smell. So for the people listening, could you describe your studio to me? What kind of things do you have in here? What's
1: the view looking out of the window? (laughs) So it's um, quite spacious. It's the same size as our sitting room. So it's partly why we bought the house, actually, because it has this lovely big space, but we needed to tank it and make it nice. you know it was like not a nice space, so it's been a joy to make it a nice space, I think. I put in a, a wood burner so it's warm in the winter. And yeah, I guess a big plan chest, lots of space to store work, you know, my shelving, and then my books, which I always organize by color, because I'm not very good at remembering the name of an artist or whatever. I go, "Oh, I need that artist, and the spine of the book is blue, and I'm always right. <laughs> And then I go, oh, yes, that's right, it's that artist. (laughs) So the books are very deliberately organised like that. And paintings on the wall just to sort of keep them up there and keep the space feeling creative. I teach in here as well, or I have taught in here as well. Um, So it's nice to be a welcoming space to look Mm. creative. So it's very tidy at the minute because of the process of moving it's like quite daunting the process of (laughs) of all this up. (laughs) and when anyone comes to do a quote for moving us they look at the studio and I think they add you know a thousand pounds to the quote so I'm trying to gradually move a lot of the stuff myself so we've this is this odd situation where I've actually got a studio where we're moving to because we don't need to the Mm. house comes with Pete's job so and I've got quite a lovely space there as well but the lighting is always going to be an issue and that was the first thing I did here once we tanked it was to put these led lights in because they're daylight and it feels like you've almost got a skylight above you so it's been brilliant brilliant light to work in and of course immediately I'm trying to work in this other space and it's like oh the light the light is everything because you've yeah. also got a lovely little garden yeah that you so sort of straight onto. out into the garden It's really interesting is people sort of think when you're an artist that art is your hobby, but no, art is my job. My hobby is to poodle about in the garden, not that I ever know what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I find that the most annoying thing sometimes when people say, oh, it must be so relaxing to paint. (laughs) Not always. No, (laughs) not always. It can be the least relaxing thing sometimes. And so I
1: guess it's nice looking out at the rewards of my labour out there. A thing I did a couple of years ago, which was absolutely wonderful, Was I went out and spent half an hour in the garden every day, to and it was the best it'd ever been the garden. Of course, then when I was doing the three six five project, I didn't quite manage to do another thing that I was doing every day. (laughs) But but to keep on top of the garden, kind of you know, if your painting's not working or something you're doing in the studio, I'll go out and sort of pull a few weeds, and, and then you come back and your head is in a better place. And often that thing is solved by the garden. So I'm very lucky that it's my garden outside there but yeah so that's a beautiful connection.
0: So are you pretty heartbroken about leaving the space or are you looking forward to working somewhere new do you think in Oxfordshire when you move do you think that that space has potential for you to make it into
1: a great studio? Oh absolutely I am it's hard isn't it I think I'm torn you're kind of like very conflicted <laughs> in that I've loved this space I've loved the the artist community here in North Devon is fabulous so I've made such good artist friends and the, and sort of the pinnacle, almost, for my career to have that exhibition at Studio Kind, and you know, yeah. So there's a lot to leave behind here. That and it came, you know, we we took the Studio Kind exhibition down on the Tuesday, and we moved lots of our possessions out of this house and went to live up in Oxford on the Thursday. <laughs> so that feels, yeah, it's it's like we're not quite living in either space, if you like. So because all of our things are still here as we try to sell this house, mm. but yeah it is i quite i guess I'm quite good at making my space work. I've lived abroad and I've lived in various houses and and we tend to move with Pete's job, so I have made my space quite quickly feel quite mm. home i guess but I have found this harder than any of our moves I think I guess because I was very exhausted after the three six five project and then ran straight into working towards that big exhibition. And I think I didn't realise quite how exhausted I was until I arrived in Oxfordshire and was like, oh.
0: (laughs) I had the exact same situation, actually, because I had a solo show in October that was all about... We'd went on this trip in the van, and it was called Travels in My Van. And Ted got his job here. And so he moved down in October, I think, actually, while I was doing the show. Oh, wow. And so then I packed up and moved down, having never been to Devon. And it's actually actually worked out really well because I didn't have to do any of the movie The Furniture or anything. But it's such a crazy process because putting on a show itself is a bit of a trip in terms Mm. of you've been working for it for so long and then it's up and it's all quite overwhelming. And then to go straight into a huge life move it's yeah it's kind of
1: disorientating though. and you have survived <laughs> yeah <You> I've survived because <laughs> you're a bit further on than me yeah no you, you'll be fine I feel like about in the last sort of couple of weeks I've sort of come back to myself and I can feel that I'm looking if you like at the landscape and how different it is obviously mm. there's no sea in Oxford <laughs> not for a long way <laughs> in Oxfordshire and um, so the Cotswolds obviously is where we are it's absolutely beautiful and we've got amazing views from the house and things like that. And the house is is extraordinary, bonkers house. So, yeah, it will it will be fine. It's that process, isn't it? Of that in between. I feel very in between mm. everything at the minute.
0: Yeah, because you mentioned there your three six five project, which was it was an exhibition called Painting the Year, yeah. which is where we met. Um, you painted outside plein air painting every day of the year. Yeah, for a whole year. And it was. I've obviously tried not blowing smoke when I say this. I think it's my favorite exhibition I've ever been to because the effect of them all—all three hundred and sixty-five paintings on the on the walls spanning throughout the seasons—was just mind blowing. But I guess for that year, you didn't. You were. Were you not really working in the studio then? Because you were outside all the time.
1: Um, a bit, but not as much. Yeah, I guess that really was the thing I was doing. Yeah. And and although I tried to keep them, come you know, sort of in a under an hour sometimes I worked did them from the garden or just down the road and went to Kenwith, which is a little reservoir and so I worked quite locally sometimes but then other times just was going to Dartmoor or Exmoor and that would take the whole day because you know the, the the painting might take an hour an hour and a half getting there takes longer you've got you know so it was the only thing in the sense that I was doing and I think I often feel that kind of it was like an amazing research project and it was absolutely wonderful for me to see them all together and they'll never be together again because obviously I sold uh, a number of them. And so, and having that lovely scan that kind of done so that you can see it, the 3D scan was just like, oh my goodness, that's been amazing. And so, yeah, to see all that was just incredible. And and it does feel, you know, I had someone help me put a book together for the project as well and so that project feels very massive and huge, and there is an element, which I don't think I've ever felt before, is okay, well now what do I do?
0: (laughs) Do you think that's the work that you're most proud of?
1: Um, Oh, that's an interesting, possibly, yes, possibly, although there are other things that I've done which I've also really loved, which are quite different, but yes, I think to have achieved that, and to properly have done it outside, and yeah it mm. it was massive it was a massive project
0: yeah and also what I loved about it was seeing them all on the walls each sort of month each group each month group together kind yeah. of formed their own mini colour palette almost yeah. as it spanned through the season did you did you have a favourite season
1: to paint in of course it's yeah. lovely to be out in the summer isn't it and I loved I really enjoyed August last year actually yeah <laughs> and um you have to be quite careful because there's a lot of green around in August. So then you're kind of challenged by how not to get overwhelmed with that. And obviously living by the sea, you just paint the sea, you know, <laughs> The sea's blue. So, well, it's not entirely blue, but yeah, you know, there was that option to get coastal. But I really also very much loved October, November because there were some wonderful kind of autumnal colours, of course, coming in. And I was able to be quite playful with those and I quite liked how they looked on the wall. But yeah, I think it depends which day you ask me, mm, which yeah. one, you know, <laughs> I found it, I was very much getting to the end of myself, I guess, towards the beginning of December. And you kind of like, oh my gosh, I've only got a month to go, but how do I keep going? And then suddenly it was like, I've only got a month to go. And I just went for it. And it was, so there were moments when it was quite hard. My dad was mm-hmm. ill in September and that was very tricky but actually, some of those paintings that I even did in that week, they're lovely. They were f- almost therapy for me.
0: Because I was going to ask, what were the biggest obstacles you faced within the project? Because my immediate thought was, would it be weather? But then I went to see a Hockley show recently, and there's a quote in it that I loved that was, withdrawing. there's no such thing as bad weather. That you paint. He paints yeah. in the snow, in the sunshine, yeah. in the rain. And I kind of feel I have that. That's how I view swimming. I swim every day in the sea, oh, and wow. even when it's grey and rainy i get yeah. really excited because i'm like i love swimming in the rain and i think it's really cool to yeah apply that theory to drawing so then i was thinking it could be weather but i think for me like mentality would be the hardest thing because i think drawing
1: every day sounds a lot lovely and easier than it probably is yeah. and you know there were some days when you were literally oh you know i've got an hour's light left <laughs> i've got to do it now especially as, it, as the nights draw in. So your days get shorter, of course, as towards the end of the year. but So sometimes, you know, I would literally go out into the garden and like it was lovely, the hydrangeas look beautiful. So this time of year, I did quite a few garden pictures. But the hardest thing actually to cope with is wind. Oh. If it's windy, you can't stand out with a pochard, it just all blows away. So I kind of had to learn how to put my car so that I could sit in the back of the car Pointing the car towards the wind and the boot away from it, if you like. And then, and a couple of them I literally just had to paint behind someone's window. Yeah. So i still doing them from life, but it was just so windy and wet. There's nowhere you could go. It was like a get out of the rain in my little, I don't know if you see my little blue angling pod that is on my, some of the pictures. Yes, <laughs> it's like a little tent almost. Like a toilet tent with gl- windows, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't be very good as a toilet tent, but yeah. yeah. And um, so that was good for for rain. But if it was windy as well, then that just sort of blew over. So, so, yeah, sheltering out of the wind is the hardest thing to do. And it's quite that was one time we went on to Bude with two friends and they were painting as well. And it, it was and suddenly there was an enormous downpour. So we just shut our boxes, literally sort of shut them in mid painting, ran into the little restaurant on Crooklet's Beach and waited for it to go and then went out and they it was so windy they held my Pochard box down while i finished it they held it sort of open oh. and then i did the last 10 minutes with them so i mean i'm giggling our heads off because it was just hilarious uh, because it was so windy there was and they couldn't paint at all mm. so that was but i had to go back to that spot because i they've all been done absolutely standing in that yeah. location. You know. So did you do a lot of the days painting with other people then? As much as I could, I tried to make it as collaborative as possible. That was really important for me, actually. So every Tuesday I went out with my friend Catherine. And she is a dairy farmer's daughter from Dartmoor. That's all those Ds. <laughs> Dartmoor dairy daughters. Yeah, one of those. Anyway, and she lives looking up at uh, Yes Tor. That's where her house or parents' house, or parents' farmhouses. So she was my Dartmoor guide. So we did a lot of Dartmoor together. And then we met every Tuesday and went somewhere. So that was helpful. And then on Fridays, Caroline Lum. And I went out quite often, depending on what we were doing. Sometimes that wasn't so easy. But most Fridays we went. And that was really cool because for both of them, in the first um, few months you could see like Caroline's line of, oh, that's all the paintings we did together because it's seven days and the the exhibition was seven days, seven paintings drop. So we could see the line of (laughs) their sort of collaborative pictures for the first couple of months. That was really cool when it was showing. And getting, I had a class that people come on a a Monday and do an on plein air class. In fact, we're meeting this Monday uh, just to kind of let's meet up because it's been so much fun. So they came out every Monday and yeah, various people and like going out with the when I did the paint outs at the pier house, Claire mm-hmm. Wilcox brought her kids, which was really fab. So that's fun painting with other people's, you know, when children came along and were part of that, that was quite mm-hmm. special. Because it's, I think, sharing that love of being outside in nature and observing it in a way that you don't if you're just sitting and looking at it. Is it the kid children just connect to that very quickly? So that was very important, yeah, part of the project. And like even like, obviously, beyond that, running workshops and meeting you, yeah, <laughs> at the workshop, you know, that was very important to the project. I think.
0: Yeah, it's kind of nice when you're working on a project like that to have all these different yeah. facets to it. Otherwise, it can you don't want it to become a chore, or yeah. you want to keep it. Fresh. And I didn't
1: want it to be so much just entirely about oh look at me look at me that kind of thing i I wanted there to be an element of come and join in come and play kind of thing Mm. and then it became a bit less egocentric i guess (laughs) i
0: think that's something i struggle with sometimes so much as well sharing my work online i get uh, it's so silly because when other people share their work i never think that they're being egocentric but that's even kind of why i want to i'm kind of trying to expand my practice and yeah. do the podcast and talk to yeah. other artists because I'm interested in the stories of what other people are doing rather than as you say you like look at me look at me yes. all the time even though <laughs> I don't think that's what people no. think but I think when you're working as an artist your practice often is so solitary that it it's nice to seek out mm. that collaboration and community with other people. For sure
1: yeah and I certainly felt like when I, when I shared every day almost three things so I did a story when I arrived at the place that I was painting at so I sent a little story and then I did a this is the location photos and then I did a this is the painting photo so shared three times a day to Instagram and Facebook which was massive and now I have done nothing since the end of the exhibition I've not shared a single thing You're just done with it and not just I think because I was very exhausted with it yeah and there's a you can get very caught up in the guilt of not doing it oh you know you haven't I'll I'll, I'll never succeed I sold a painting yesterday you know so it's like stop it (laughs) but I would like to you know I need to probably now this strangely coming back into this space yesterday evening and this morning and it's like oh yeah okay I could work in here I'm going to Lundy with um, a whole group of artists that Lee Holman has set that up for a little project for the um, Landmark Trust are Doing an artist trail, and people, when they go that day, will be able to follow us around and see where we're painting. So oh, that's, that's so really cool. exciting. So, and I've not been to Lundy while we've lived here. So,
0: Lundy, Lundy's that little island, yeah, isn't it? That you can, can see
1: when you're standing at Westwood Hoe Beach or any yeah. of the beaches, you can see.
0: And they own is it only a couple of furries a day that they have
1: that? I think it's only one furry day. Yeah. day. One from no, it might be one from Ilfcombe, one from Biddeford, depends yeah. on the tides basically. Oh, so when are you doing that? So, that's the 5th of August. Yeah, so that's really exciting to so do. So I that. could
0: come and watch if I wanted yes. to. Yeah, get a ticket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, get yeah. on
1: the ferry. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's half past eight. It leaves. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Because be yeah.
0: <laughs> this is the second time doing the three six five project.
1: You did it in twenty fifteen. Yeah. So I did it in twenty fifteen, but they weren't all on plein air. Okay. So I guess when I got to the end of that project, though I painted every day, sometimes I'd taken a photograph that I then painted when I got back to my studio space. And and some of those days I was literally painting at half past 11, thinking this is crazy. And it wasn't as joyful as actually being outside. So I got to the end of that project, produced a book, did a big exhibition. you know, did sort of, what didn't I sold them as I went along. Mm. So I didn't have that chance to do a big exhibition, though I did some exhibitions of some of the work. And I always, at the end of that, felt, oh, I wish I'd done them on plein air and I wish I hadn't sold them till I'd exhibited them all. There were those two sort of things. And I'd painted during lockdown, the lockdowns, so some of the lockdowns, the last sort of three, I painted for them every day. And people had really connected with that and said, you know, we can't go out, but we wait to see what you've painted every day. And thank you so much. So that was just beautiful. And so at the end of 2021... Or towards the end of then, I thought, I wonder if I could do another year. And the only thing that was slightly worrying me was that our daughter was getting married on the in May. So they came to visit us, I think, in October. And I said, oh, I'm I'm thinking of doing a 365, but I'm just a bit worried about one of the dates in the year. And she was like, Mum, will you paint on our wedding day? And I was like, is the right answer yes? <laughs> and it totally was. Oh, that's so And she lovely. was so excited and then proceeded to show me lots of her other nasty paintings of of a wedding fo- wedding painters doing not such nice things so um which is very rude isn't it to say that about someone else's <laughs> art but anyway so she said you know oh we'd love that because it's a thing and we would just so that i gave that to them a couple of weeks ago they finally got their picture but <laughs> so it was the picture of them okay. <laughs> so of the where they were so they were got married in kent in a place called um it's gone out of my head in a very lovely castle anyway lamberhurst lamberhurst oh i can't remember that's terrible <laughs> <laughs> and um, anyway Wadhurst Castle that's it and I um painted most of it but I did finish it off in the studio that was the only one I did finish mm-hmm. off because I couldn't i practiced doing it at my niece's wedding and she was super pleased that I'd done that and they happened to go and sort of stand where I was watching where mm-hmm. I was painting and um that was great and I painted them in that day and it was done in the session but I've I guess I learnt from that that I was a bit far away from everyone, so I missed out on all the chit chat and the champagne, you know. So for Chloe and Ross's wedding, I um, stood sort of in the thick of it all. I had a nice view with a bit of the castle in it and a bit of the gardens. They were beautiful gardens. And then when I got back, I just popped them in with uh, using one of the photos. So that was quite nice. I'm just thinking
0: I might close the door because of the. Oh yes. um... (laughs) (laughs) Thank you
1: yes sorry (laughs) no no don't worry so do you think you'll do it again or isn't it? i said i did say someone said do you think you'd do it again like next year and i was like if i do it this year i would be (laughs) you'd have to be no no i never say never i guess because you already go oh i wonder what it'd be like if i did it in watercolors oh i wonder you know on paper what would that be like they would be quite interesting (laughs) so i can already feel that building i guess it was a massive commitment and I wouldn't want to under underestimate that it was huge and impact on everyone else around me. And you know, so funny, my friend is staying with us in from Uganda, and she was here last year for Chloe and Ross's wedding. And she's the first day we were out, she was she said, "Oh, we must, uh, we must get hurry on because we need to go and do your painting." And she went, "Oh no, but you're not doing it this year, are you?" So obviously, even when she stayed with me, she'd had to come out and do the painting every day. <laughs> so you think, yeah, it did impact yeah. everyone else, and it, it's kind of. It was in their psyche as well to sort of remember to do it and make sure mum does it. I mean, no, not that I was ever going to forget, but... And how, roughly, ballpark, how long would each one take? It's a good question, isn't it? Because probably I tried to keep them in at under an hour, except when I was in Dartmoor, maybe, or Exmoor, and you'd gone... But the answer to that question truly should be all my life to that point and then that hour. Because all my expertise, all my 10,000 hours, all my practice... You know, and obviously now I've got 365 extra hours to mm. add to that. That got me to a point where I can do that and simplify the landscape sufficiently well to do it fairly quickly, but still quite carefully observed. So there's, it's, it's an interesting question, isn't it, that how long did it take? Because people go, well, how, you did that in an hour? And it's like, well, no, not really. <laughs> Yeah. But yes, I did. Physically, I took an hour, but it isn't an hour's work. And with the
0: 10,000 hour things, even within the 365 project, uh, in terms of your technical skills, do you think you saw a difference from day one to day 365 when you look at them? Could, do you feel like that made you rapidly develop your skill set? Yeah,
1: I think so. And I think they don't look massively different. And there's a little point in September where I was being really experimental and really loose. And there's a one in particular, couple of in particular that were almost unfinished looking, but they were really quite enjoyable to do. And um, interestingly, uh, the guy that helped me do the book, he, um, I said to him, you can have because he helped me. I mean, I could not have put the book together without him. He did it. I put, I gave him the stuff. He did it. I did the writing, but he put it and lay it out and everything. And I said, you can have any painting that you want, and he picked the one that I possibly would have picked as the one to keep. And um, what kind of <laughs> And it was in talent? September and it was of the June I've got got really into the dunes on Westwood Hoe Beach. So I know that we're going on Monday and it's like, oh I'm gonna go and paint in June. <laughs> and um he picked that one and it was very loose and very free and lovely colours and I like, and placed and I talk a lot about not you know, we're not painting a door so you don't flip flop your brush backwards and forwards but that to mix not over mix your colours, but to mix them and then place them with your brush with one mark you know and not to kind of it's you're not yeah that whole thing of not painting a door and trying to get this flatness there that's not how I I want the, the brush marks to show and the placement of the colors so I think that I was really inhabiting that kind of ability if you like at that time in September and I don't know why then I sort of headed back into it being much more as it had been before and that doesn't sort of stay around that for I don't know why really <laughs> yeah I think the loose
0: free ones are better I often find that I'll prefer my initial sketch for yeah. an illustration project yeah. I'll love the sketch and then when I try and do it the final or yeah. the
1: perfect one it's lost all the energy it's overworked yeah. yeah and I guess it is learning that lesson to not overwork things and to sort of people often ask you that question don't they when is the painting finished and um, I think if you've asked that question it's finished As soon as you start, is it finished? Then yes, it probably is. Yeah, that's my (laughs) mantra too. If you're wondering, then it's done. Then it's done. Put it down. Yeah. 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 And it might be that you, if you're doing something that maybe isn't on plein air, you might leave it on the side of the wall. And and like that kind of thing In when Turner goes and puts that little red bit, and I'm not sure if that's an apocryphal story, but he puts a little red dot of something into the landscape. It might be that you find that one little thing that makes it feel finished. Weeks later or even a year later, you know, with a painting that's, you know, I, I'll have paintings that sort of hover around in the studio, not quite resolved for some reason or other. And sometimes it's just, oh, oh, yeah, I need to do that. and you do it. Or it needs just to be, you yeah. know, sanded down, started again.
0: <laughs> and you need that distance from
1: it. Yeah. Because
0: I also think that is the fear, isn't it, of your, within, within a painting, you're sort of, you're finding out that it's like a puzzle that you're trying mm. to solve and the fear is then ruining it at the end because do you remember uh, when we were talking about going on Landscape Artist? And yeah. that was honestly my fear that I would do something that I really liked and then ruin it at the end. So yeah, I feel exactly like that's exactly
1: what I did when I was a wild card you did, there. It? And that, that was a huge lesson for me. I was in the first series at Wadston and I took a huge canvas, pink chairs, had a pink stripy shirt on, you know, I was really playing the spot me, spot me thing. <laughs> and I... um. Did a painting in the morning and I was the only person that they'd filmed and it was really loose and I'd been using these uh catalyst, you know, kind of like almost like a Potter's kidney, um rubber kidney, you know, to, to paint so there was big broad marks, lovely oil painting, and I'd put some drawing lines in, and they were it was lovely. And I rang my friend and said, Oh, I think I'm done, and she said, then well, you're done, don't do any more. But I said, Well, I want them to come back and film me. And I had a second canvas which I could have started. But no, I worked Mm. on a whole load of students turned up and I finished that painting. They never came back because it was totally overworked Uh. and lost and became just a boring, normal painting. And I felt so awful after it. And I was so disappointed with myself. It was a brilliant lesson. And it's that whole thing, isn't it? Of you have to have moments where you feel you have failed, which I definitely did. I had definitely failed that painting, failed that opportunity. Mm. And... And I learnt so much from that incident, and I I went back to the studio I had then in uh, Buckinghamshire, and I wrote on the wall, you know, I I do not replicate the landscape, <laughs> I represent it, and just had it in big letters above where I was working, to go, you know, don't don't put everything in, don't. It's like when people talk too much or say too much. I don't want to say too much about the landscape. She says, talking a lot no
0: I love that don't replicate the landscape represent it I absolutely love that because I had this similar situation because you have all day to paint yeah and I think mine took about two hours so yeah. I was done at eleven thirty, but I had another four hours but I was literally had to be so strict and be like step away step away but it is that te- that temptation because on the canvas it's you're kind of... It's a balancing act between taking risks
1: and playing it safe, yes. isn't it? You've got to take some risks to make art that's not... But nobody... Nobody would go... That's the, that's the flaw with Landscape Artist of the Year, in a way, there's lots of flaws, I guess. No one would ever go out and paint for the entire day because the shadows move. You have 12 hours of moved shadows. Yeah. So, you know, what... You have to think about which half hour or you know so that you're actually going to represent because no one paints in the landscape for a whole day one painting you know Monet used to go out for 10 minutes so there is a flaw there in the whole thing of being out there every day because for a whole day because it changes. it's just not what you should do and it's so utterly different at 10 o'clock in the morning and four o'clock in the afternoon yeah and so how do you you know no one paints midday you know no no one takes photographs of the landscape at twelve o'clock, and the, because the sun is too high, so there's that kind of like I tended not to go out at lunchtime. You know, I'd go in the mornings, the afternoons, because they're much better light. So it is an interesting premise to be out all day painting. And
0: it was just too hot to be out all day. It was on. I think it was thirty two, thirty one, or thirty two degrees. Where were you? Um, I was in Liverpool. Okay. So and yeah, I kind of I got there early the day before. I was feeling so smug because I thought I was in the right area. I thought it was definitely going to be on the waterfront and then I realised I hadn't got the email and it was actually facing all the buildings. And you know in your head yeah. you've been preparing yeah. for this yeah, yeah, seascape yeah. and then buildings is not really my forte. No, I don't know. And
1: it's, that's not a landscape. No. Paint. Um, and I do, I do always feel sorry for the, the ones that get the city ones because you just think, oh, it's all right, isn't it? But it's not, you know, there's something so wonderful about painting... Nature. And that's what landscape artist yeah. art is about, isn't it? The landscape. And so Yeah, I always find those ones like, oh I'd hate to have that
0: one. Yeah, I wouldn't class it as landscape. No. But I'd say that's architectural. Thinking. Oh cityscape, cityscape, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: But as picking at straws, I guess. Yeah. Right <laughs>
0: <here>. <laughs> so with this three six five project, or any project, what's your favourite part of working on a project like that? The beginning and the initial idea the middle and the actual process of it or the end the final outcome seeing it up on the wall the satisfaction of that
1: all of the above, all above, of yeah. above. <laughs> it's really hard isn't it to say which is my favorite bit um I love coming up with the idea and I, I guess that's why I'm slightly flawed at the moment because I haven't got a project that I'm working towards so there's an element of well I've got tons and tons and tons and tons of paintings and I've made some good connections or some little connections which is quite exciting in the last couple of weeks but yeah it's hard isn't it you enjoy there are aspects of all those things it's wonderful that sort of ideas Well, this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm thinking about and but then it was great doing the project itself it was so collaborative it was so much fun you know you're sort of beavering away aren't you? you've got purpose and direction and all those things which are really nice you haven't got to think about that and it was wonderful to show it You know, I did feel that the first half of this year, I was mostly just doing exhibition admin. And so the sort chance to actually do my own work was less because I was putting together the stash, if you like, to go with that um, exhibition and getting it ready and getting my writing and things like that done. But... I think all of those stages are very much they're so important aren't they to the process of a project and it needs to have all those stages the thinking the getting there the ideas the process and then the completion that full circle and I guess what I what has surprised me this time is how much coming to the end of that I've been a bit stock i don't tend to be a a stock artist if you like i tend to always have the next thing coming on but we've been moving house and i've been doing you know replacing the covers on seats and things like that so i've been kind of domestically creative maybe (laughs) but um yeah it feels very strange place to be just at the minute i think so nice going to Lundy. that will be exciting and i've got my sketchbook which i've been working into so i think that's my security blanket Mm is that okay so i I'll, I'll just work in there and i have been working in my sketchbook but yeah all those stages are very important and i i think they all yeah you need them all for the project to be resolved i suspect
0: yeah i also feel like there's there needs to be an element of fear a bit in each one i feel like yeah. for me the initial idea sometimes can be quite scary because it's almost like I want to do it so much that it's, it scares me. Do you, know, do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I guess I'm not... I'm not very afraid. I'm, it's the one place of possibly in my life that I'm really not afraid. You know, I just jump in both feet, probably a bit madly, you know. <laughs> and I, I love the excitement of doing something that's beyond my... You know, pushing me out of my comfort zone, if you like. Sort of beyond where I've been, doing something brave... That's what I mean, I
0: love that thing, yeah.
1: because as soon as I know something's going to scare me about I'm like, well, I've got to do it then. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And it's that whole thing of, there was an element of starting the project, will I actually manage to do this, what happens if I don't do it? Well, because you've got to push yourself to those boundaries, otherwise you're just playing it safe,
0: and I think that's yeah. kind
1: of reflected in the art, yeah, it would yeah, be yeah. a bit flat. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, really interestingly, I absolutely, one of my favourite points in the year was when I was at Bucks Mills as the artist in residence for the National Trust in the cabin. You told me that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, I loved that. I literally, the last day I cried to leave. I was like, I just want to stay here. I've loved it so much. And I sat on my little chair outside the cabin and I had a bit of a cry. And it's like, I've loved this. I don't want to leave. This has just been amazing. So that's a cabin on the waterfront. So it's right on the, I don't know if you've, you must go to Buxmills. Go. It's fab. And there's, it's, I think, currently closed because they are restoring it because it was just in such a state of collapse that they needed to, to do something to stop it completely. Not the building itself, but the stuff inside was really fragile. But owned by two artist, uh, women, artists that and it was their holiday retreat and um Judith Ackland and Mary Stella Edwards and they painted the landscape from there so they have they you can apply to be an artist in residence so then I got to, got the application to do its part of that year of the 365 and I did the um daily paintings quite quickly each day and then I was I had time to sort of one show people round, which was lovely people were delighted that it was open and they could get inside and then also I went onto the beach and I started to work with a sort of mixed media practice and produced two paintings which I really love and that's why I say to you oh, I wonder what it would be like to do it watercolor mixed media or whatever a project like that because those are really interesting pieces of work that I think could be my next step but though there's a sort of they're bigger they're you know harder than to display they're more expensive there's not you know the simplicity of the um, water mixable oil on board is that it can just stick on all you know Mm. (laughs) didn't have to be framed and all that stuff so yes what is my next project I think it might be around that kind of materiality and yeah let's see
0: and for each piece do you kind of
1: have it mapped out in your mind's eye before you start, or are you figuring out as you go? I think there's an element of both. I certainly stand and look. So, I and one of the things I try to say to the students when we go out, and we did that on the um, workshop that I ran, wasn't it, is to connect with the space first. To so go around and pick some flowers, or pick up some pebbles and hold them in your hand, or just connect to that space, walk in it, be in it before you just because it's very tempting to arrive at a space and then just jump into painting it without really having said hello or introduced yourself you know (laughs) and there's a it's too abrupt and so you need to sort of let the landscape introduce itself to you and kind of show it reveal itself a little bit and then you know then paint Mm,
0: because it's so tempting especially when you think you have a time limit to just get to the space and dive straight into drawing yeah yeah and I do think yeah, and in, in terms of jumping in, you do have to jump in, but I I found that so actually inspiring, what you were telling us about, yeah, grounding yourself
1: in the space and then maybe doing some warm-up drawings mm. just to sort of... Yeah, single-line free... drawings are my... Uh, you know, if I arrive at a place and I'm not quite sure what I, I want to do, single-line drawings are it. You know, I do it when I'm going to a life class or I'll do it <laughs> watching the landscape, whatever it is. You know, they are so helpful. So, yeah, that's good to do. And then you're kind of being more mindful and more connected. So I think you'll see better because you've looked. Yeah. You know, that makes complete sense, doesn't it? You know, but and
0: I think it will then feed into, you know, what palette you choose according sure. to what smells you can yeah. smell, yeah, yeah.
1: textures. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you have a time of day that you're most
1: inspired to create? I'm, I'm a definitely a a lark. So I'm probably much better in the mornings although actually interestingly have done some really lovely pieces of work over the years that have been done in the studio at night so that kind of coming down it's lovely having a studio in my home space and so being able to come in here and go oh do you know actually I just fancy doing and sometimes they've been really nice things so I guess it but more often than not it's in the morning. Do you set yourself sort of a working schedule or are you more just as and when you feel like? No I do have a very strict studio I try and have strict studio time. So I guess that's why it's been quite problematic where we've moved to. There's been lots of work going on in the house. So it's a bit disrupted and it's hard to be in that space when other people are popping in and out or wanting to know stuff. But yeah, I do try and I like to be in the studio by 10 and then I probably won't leave till, you know, I'll have my lunch and take, you know, breaks, of course, walk the dog or whatever and then finish around six. So it's a sort of working day, but it's a kinder one that I've perhaps walked the dog first and done some chores because of course the problem of being in your own house is that you can go oh I'll just do dot 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 whatever that little chore is that needs to be done before and before you know it a morning has gone if you're not careful so I try and yeah make that kind of coming through this door is coming to work and these are my studio hours
0: yeah I think that separation is key I yeah think, without it It's very easy to just exactly as you say, think I'll just do that. I'll just do that.
1: Just tidy up. Just wash up. Whatever. Oh, I'll just and and emails as well. Try to do them once a day. I have a planner which I haven't been using. I just have you know this is an unusual phase, isn't it? Moving and collecting yourself, but I have a planner and I write the day's tasks into it, and I try to write just what I can do for that day. So then I will write other tasks that need doing into other days ahead of that day so that as uh, I did a bit of I was a uh, mentor I was mentor was mentored that is that the right word by a, a person who talked about priority potatoes and it's that thing isn't it how do you fit rice potatoes and pasta into one jar you put the potatoes in first then you put the pasta and then the rice fills the gaps and it's that kind of so that's how in a sense you need to look at your tasks okay what are my priorities for today and 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 try not to be swamped by admin to actually do, do the, important the joyful thing, thing. first. <laughs> so it might be that the most important thing is I've got to send a bio somewhere, which is what I had to do today, and that needed to go and send that. And then that's my priority. And then I've got the things that I maybe want to do that, you know, mm. have to go to claim my headspace. I also find that the separation
0: and particularly having a studio is helpful because sometimes being an artist or working from home, I think people tend to forget that you actually have a real job. So they'll think, oh, well, Georgie's just at home, so she can do this. Can you do this for me? And you're
1: like, no, I I actually have a job as well. So I think it's helped, in some senses, the pandemic has helped us because there is a lot of people now who work from home and we wouldn't dream of interrupting them. And so I think it's helped. I feel it's helped me because I say I work from home and... People get that much more than they did. And these are my hours. And people will say, Well, can we meet for coffee? And I'm like, Well, no. <laughs> but we could perhaps do lunch and I'll take a slightly longer lunch or you know, or can we do you know, there's that kind of trying to set parameters and and be a little bit like a boss to myself if you saw what I mean
0: <laughs> yeah you have to be your own yeah boss.
1: otherwise people don't get it and if you're always available if you always just say oh yeah that's fine and you you don't prioritize your work I think that's the, been the hardest thing I've had to learn is to how do I say no I'm I'm actually working if I'm teaching a lesson no one would interrupt that no one would kind of think of coming in but I and I wouldn't think of interrupting it so I have to treat my actual studio practice in that way And I wouldn't think of interrupting it. But that can be hard, you know. You have to be strict to yourself. And I think that's where I feel slightly adrift at the moment is that that isn't especially there because it can't be. Because I'm being constantly sort of interrupted and and because I'm tired. And, you know, there is an element of you have to go, do you know what, this little season is a recovery, you know. (laughs) And that saying that, you know, a flower can't bloom all year round no, we exactly. go through seasons of having to rest having to retreat yeah. and then and that's been a year. really nice thing hasn't it that's come out that little phrase of recently people have been talking about that. It's like oh yeah really needed to hear that because <laughs> see I feel like I'm just slightly hunkering down in the soil and you know and filling the well you know going out and doing things we went to the because we're obviously now in, um, in the Cotswolds but we're just not too far away from Oxford so we went to the Ashmolean last week which was just fab and It's a wonderful gallery that I've known all sort of all my adult life, if you like, and had a connection to. And when I was doing my ceramics degree, all the work that I produced was based on some pots I'd seen there. And so, you know, it was nice to go there and fill the well and just be in that space. Not necessarily coming back inspired by a a single thing, but just to be there. And how important do you
0: think it is to dedicate time in your day to creative acts that are not related to your work? And what kind of things might those be for you?
1: Yeah, I think you have to do that. It's important to maybe listen to blogs, which I'm not so good at on um, connecting, reading. I've got lots of books and sometimes I will just go, do you know what? I'm just going to spend an hour reading one of those books because I'm looking at this artist. Let's read about them. What, were the, what was their practice? And yeah, connecting to other artists, that, that's a really important, well-filling thing. Is, and that's I guess the thing I'm slightly missing from here is that I could just ring up an artist and go to fancy going out painting and mostly there'd be someone available, you know. So that's been quite hard. What but,
0: artists do you think yeah, who are the
1: artists who've had the biggest influence on what your style is today? Um Barbara Ray, um I love the way that she responds to colour. Obviously Hockney you know you can't be ha- yeah. <laughs> as soon as i saw and you know sometimes you go in and like they had that big exhibition quite a few years ago now isn't it a long time ago in the ra and you just think i walked around there going oh i do things like this yeah <laughs> and i not the end results but those kind of watercolor things and the drawings the way that he draws using the ipad i've done that too and so he's been a big influence kurt jackson and then um Joan Erdley, mm. I love her work i i she does lots of she's more famous for the sort in the sense of the drawings of children, but her drawings of the paintings rather than the landscapes are fabulous and very free. Mm. It's a lovely
0: feeling, isn't it, when you go to an exhibition and whether it's something you read, of like a philosophy they have or yeah. an element of their work and you think, that, that's me, yeah. I, I have that. It's yeah. nice to see yourself reflected in the work. Or you think, oh, that's interesting, I might try that. Yeah, and,
1: you're, and it's, that's the thing, isn't it? Cassie says, good artists steal, bad artists copy. And there is an element that you look at the work of others and you steal things off them that they're doing, but you'll do it in your own way and it won't be a replication, mm. it won't be a copy Yeah, you know of what is being done by the other artists. You're just being inspired by them.
0: Yeah, I heard. I think I, I was on a course and the teacher was saying that a few years ago that we're very scared of copying, but you shouldn't shy away from copying because your style is basically drawing on loads of different artists, little bits you like from different people, and what will come together is an amalgamation that is your style yeah so don't yeah as you say don't be afraid and actually
1: of... in the past that's how students learned you know they'd go to the big museums and copy the paintings and the sculptures of other great masters and that's how they learned
0: yeah
1: and if you can copy a, a great master then you are you know you've got your skills sorted, you know, that's a way to sort out your technique, if you like. I
0: think that's a whole module within the Royal Drawing School, um, where I studied for a little bit, but they do a whole module on going into galleries and literally drawing from statues, paintings. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any little specific things that you like to do before you start creative work just to get you in that kind of right headspace? It could be A certain type of music you listen to, something you wear, a smell, anything, any little things like that that make you think, okay, I'm
1: in artist mode now, I can start. It's definitely putting on my overalls. So I have a lovely collection of dungarees. (laughs) I just bought some new ones, actually, which I really love. So there is, yeah, I've got my studio clothes, if you like, that I don't mind getting messy. So there's an element of that. And quite often the sort of process of coming down here is making a coffee or a tea. The dog wants to come in. Come on, Archie. He likes being down here. You coming in? If you come, then. Um, I guess yeah. There's that sort of. There are rituals that you have. Yeah, making a tea. It used to be that I made a green tea, but I've sort of got out of that habit. But maybe need to get back to that because it's quite nice and fresh. And I don't listen to music, not very often. Not certainly not in those beginning stages because I need to concentrate and I, I, I'm a little bit hearing impaired and so actually having to listen to sound is, is quite hard for me so that distracts me I think because I'm trying to listen to it <laughs> yeah. once I'm in the what I call the knitting stage and you know what you're doing you've got a pattern you're sorted I might listen to that or even a story on audible or something but in the winter it's coming down and lighting the fire in here that's kind of a nice little ritual so those kind of I'm coming into the space. I'm making it warm, or what have you. But yeah, I I do work quite silently. I quite like silence.
0: I guess when you're working out in the landscape
1: on the three six five, that's got its own soundtrack of course, to it. Yeah, and that's absolutely glorious. You know, if there are, and it's been really interesting. Obviously, here the backdrop sound is most often the sound of seagulls. <laughs> so it's been really interesting being in the Cotswolds because there is actually quite a lot of bird noise. And he's like, oh, wow, I'd forgotten how much noise birds can make when they're not being screeched out by the
0: That's <laughs> one of the things I love about seagulls. moving here is we have a skylight above our bed and waking up and hearing the seagulls. It just yes. makes me say, like, every time yeah. I wake up, I get excited. I'm like, I'll oh, I'm in Devon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and do you
1: have any materials that you're particularly attached to using particular brushes? Or oh, pen? yes, for sure. Yes, yeah, So I have lovely brushes that I put in my box, which are from Jackson's. They're their own brand, actually. They're called Onyx Brushes and they are wonderful so those i used in the pochard boxes a lot um when i work with watercolors and things i will buy really expensive paint because there's no point buying cheap stuff buy less colors but better quality is my mantra to my students you know and um obviously love daniel smith's and daniel smith has just started making water mixable oil so that has made me beyond excited because his the quality of his paints are beautiful And I um, bought a quinacridone gold at the beginning of the 365 project. And that became the drawing line that you can see through a lot of the pictures. Um, It was £28 for a tiny tube, (laughs) but it was worth every penny because you wouldn't get that from any other colour or any other paint. You know, that quality is evidenced just in the line and the way that it sort of glows, I guess. So good quality paint, good brushes... I use a lot of sea white stuff. I have an account with them, so their watercolor paper I use. But you know that kind of using. But... I sometimes feel like with those particular items that maybe are a bit up my budget. I think it's
0: sometimes important for me to stretch myself and yeah, get sure. it because then I'll use it, and it's like an investment, isn't for it? For sure, really? it is. and
1: you're investing in your practice, and it's it's about saying, do I really think that what I'm doing is worth it, and. And not to be terrified by oh I've just spent you know, like beautiful if you buy a beautiful piece of watercolor paper, say from two rivers, you can be terrified that you've spent five pounds on one piece of paper, but actually you've just invested, so don't waste it. Yeah. Get on and use it. <laughs> you know? yeah. And you know, so if I can if I if I really want to buy good watercolor paper, then I buy two rivers. But I haven't bought very much of their work their paper mm. 'cause it's just but yeah and it's like the, actually the Jackson's onyx brushes aren't very expensive but they're beautiful and they clean up so beautifully so I've used them a lot and then I also just for my insurance and also so I can get materials I belong to the SAA which is a, quite literally the society of all artists you've got the absolute beginner right through to people who are working professionally and um, they have a material shop and because I'm a professional artist i can get a, dis- a sort of discount on material so that's been quite useful to help students get brushes <laughs> their own brushes for watercolor there's a brush called the whopper brush basically if you find someone has the whopper brush and a black square sketchbook they've been in a class with me <laughs> because and then there's some paints that i i sell which are really reasonable so they're called Analinky linky watercolor sort of inks and a lot of them have got those as well so it's quite funny you go well yep you've been in a class with me you've got a square black sketchbook from sea whites you've got the whopper brush from the saa and you've got the anna Linky paints and Dick. the whopper brush is just that huge fat it's, brush it's that lovely did, i lent it to you did i know yeah. you'd, yes uh, well i think you yeah i might have b- yeah. borrowed it yeah well, while you do some watercolour yeah. yeah yeah and it's it's just it's wonderful because it'll do a thin thin line and then a great big splodge and it holds so much water and it is exactly what it says. It's very satisfying. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Did you experience a crucial turning point in your practice that shaped your style into what it is today?
1: Mm. Um, I, I don't think so. I think I've been a slow learner. They've been quite incre- sort of small increments. And going on the MA was really interesting. So obviously I did that fairly recently and he graduated in 2020.
0: What, what and where was that? So I
1: went and did an MA at Plymouth university in 2017 I started that it was at that time a three-year part-time it's not anymore but um was that in fine art or so it was in contemporary art practice so I looked at the college of art which did a fine art uh, MA but I wanted to think about my practice within the contemporary context so I was literally the only painter at one point in the whole of all the three years, <laughs> but then other people joined that were painters. But it was really good to sort of pull apart my practice. Interestingly, I completely ripped my practice apart, looked at it, investigated it, interrogated it, and then it's very, very much as it was before. But it's, I feel more confident about what I was doing. So I think that has helped me to feel confident about who I am as an artist and why I do what I do. So it helped me to answer some of those questions and maybe to put to bed that constant question of, oh, what, what do mm. I do as an artist? What am I? Am I an artist? You know, there's the, um, or am I just a potter playing about with paints? You know, because I did ceramics as my degree. And um, yeah, I think that was, that was probably a good intellectual mm. jump if you like, in terms of understanding my practice and what I do and being confident about why I do it and writing about it. You know, I'm not particularly an avid writer, but it was really good to think and write about art and write about my practice and and the contemporary art world, not just fine art as a little thing hidden away. But, you know, how does it fit with the fact that other people are not using materials because of this, of saving the planet? or their practices to walk into a field. How do I, I'm walking into a field and then I'm painting it, but other artists will walk through the field and photograph the line they make through the grass, you know, like Richard Long or whatever. And so it, it was really good to interrogate that, I think.
0: Because mm. I was talking to someone recently about my MA and I think I was slagging it off a bit, saying I didn't learn anything, it was rubbish, because it was during covid Um So we all had to go home. That's really hard, But actually, on reflection, I think so much of an MA is just the time and space. Because I went home, and I actually think that year, 2020, is genuinely when I developed my style that Mm. I'm confident in now. As you were saying, it's about confidence. And I think having the time and space to just focus on it, it, yeah, it's that sort of portal that Mm. I don't think I would have got that if I was still working part-time and just doing it as a hobby it's Yeah, just having that total yeah. dedication to think solely about mm. your practice
1: no that's good and I think you know it's a, it's a real I felt very privileged that I had that opportunity to do that and that I was able to do it and you know even bizarrely driving over the landscape every week to go to Plymouth across you know Dartmoor that across the edges of Dartmoor was wonderful and you know again it just sang out its beauty and you know and of course that is I guess the thing that very much underpins what I do is I have a faith and you know sort of sometimes would just stop and sit in that space and and just connect I guess and pray and do things like that so that kind of and it was really interesting because I guess it was a strange thing to declare you know if you have a there was a lot of um discussion around what we believe as human beings and so that also was really interesting quite challenging to sort of go okay well I I think this but this is why I think this and you know kind of looking at that in a really intellectual rigor of that was glorious you know and I guess it surprised me how much I enjoyed that because I was quite nervous about that intellectual rigor and before I went and what people think about me being a Christian and they'll probably you know they'll just think I'm an intellectual numpty, because that's often what you feel, you know, or you must have no brain if you believe in God. But um, actually, that was quite good that that wasn't, you know, although they'll write me off for of being a painter, that's the first thing. And then a Christian, I mean, I'm just a complete no hoper, aren't I really, <laughs> on the course. And so I had that anxiety before I got there. But actually, of course, those things weren't the case. And how ungenerous of me to think that about other people, you know, <laughs> and that they would think that. And um, it was good, good to really look at that there was a really a lovely tutor and we talked a lot around those issues I guess which was helpful to talk to someone you know you've got tutor of whom you're the same age because obviously I'm not a young person going to do an MA that was really interesting because we could talk about life and and I guess there was an element of absolutely relishing a thing of being in university when having done that degree in my youth in a sense almost don't realize and I know lots of people say that what you have and you do and you relish that at at that time there's a different type of relishing I think in your adult life is doing something like that and I just sucked it up I think
0: yeah
1: and because with your practice
0: you never get to the end point do you you're literally always learning you're always developing I'd love to look back in 10 years and think that I've come really far from where yeah. I'm at now and that my work now is not, <laughs> not that great. As in how mm. I look... How, when I look back to five years ago, I'm like, oh, that's terrible. But I'd yeah. love to I'd love to continually be and doing And I think
1: that. you do. I, I guess I look back at work, there's a piece of work hanging in the room next door and it's called The Sheep and the Goats, very much about how we make decisions that some people are good and some people are bad and how problematic that is. And there's a little girl that I had as a motif. She must be about seven. Seven-year-old girls, you know, very questioning very demanding, very kind of, hmm, really? <laughs> so maybe maybe nine, you know, something like that, that sort of age. And she's in the painting looking out and the rest of the painting is about that divide that we as human beings sometimes place on people and um, how difficult that is. And I guess unpacking the whole idea of that within my faith, in the context of my faith, you know, well, we, how can we say that? We shouldn't say that. <laughs> and so that piece of work is very old, and yet I still think it's a very beautiful piece of work and a very strong piece of work. Some of the drawing isn't brilliant, but there's something about that piece of work that is strong. So I think there are strong pieces of work that exist in your history as an artist that you revisit. And I know that, at- like now... When I'm in a kind of oh, what am I doing? Kind of phase, <laughs> I visit, I revisit those kind of storytelling pieces of work and go. I and always hanker after those storytelling pieces. If you like mm. the pieces that maybe talk about my faith that challenge, perhaps um, expected norms around faith and how we can slide into tradition rather than thoughtful and intelligent thinking i don't know you know i'm always yeah. there pushing those boundaries
0: i think as well there's something in those early works as you say they maybe aren't quite there technically but it's in the something in the
1: soul yeah. of the piece yeah. that is strong and you can see reflects your work now still yes. and and i you know look back at landscape paintings that i've done you know 20 30 years ago and you can see there's a and you you can be sort of fooled into thinking you don't have a strong style because you're so used to your own work you don't see that it has a style if you see i mean it's just and there you know even looking at these walls, some of these pieces are very different and um but there is a style that stays there very strongly i think and yes, there are some i mean i very very regularly every year go through the plan chest and cull. very very you know could I sell this, do I want to keep it because it's important? to help me and if it doesn't fill those it goes in the paper recycling or gets painted over as a canvas so I'm quite good at culling. And do you ever struggle with that inner critic in terms of say you're
0: working on a piece that you don't feel is necessarily successful do you struggle with yeah the
1: inner critic or do you simply see that as part of the creative process? I think so and I think I think one of the good things about being a potter in my initial training if you like was you can we can make a whole work, a stack of work, pop it in a kiln, and it blow up, and you lose a lot. And there is a kind of like I'm not precious about my work, not at all. There, and I guess there are one or two pieces that, like the two from Box Mills that I, and I thought I would sell, and I had them up for sale, and they haven't sold, and I'm quite glad. And they're now in our new lounge. None of you has. It's like, yeah, I don't think I'll sell those now. I had <laughs> but that, then if someone yeah. offered me enough money, I would. <laughs> <laughs> if I, I had that with one particular piece
0: from my last show that I didn't really realise until it had sold. And then I, I still think about it now and how great it would be in our living room. Cause mm. Especially because a lot of them, because they're from the trip, they're yeah. so personal. Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was a really uh, tiny one of an olive grave. But I'm so happy because I think the woman he bought it her and her husband gave it to each other for their wedding anniversary, wow. which is so nice. lovely. Yeah. But at the same time, I just have such a yep. tug and I often think about it, which is probably really lame. No, but, it's not. <laughs> and I, like, that
1: I sold the last one of the 365, not from this one, but from 2015. And I really shouldn't have sold it. I did it on plein air on the 31st of December 2015. Loads of people came and chatted to me. It was a wonderful day. People came in, and I was at Stowe uh, Landscape Gardens. And it was off the mansion and we'd lived just beside it because that was part of Pete's job. And, you know, it was like I would painted this wonderful garden all year and then it sold instantly. Like it, I put it up and it would sold by the end of the day. And I just kind of thought, oh, I should have kept it. I would have. know that's possibly the only one, but just because it was a milestone one. But then the final one of this year, my sister-in-law, who is my my patron, really, she has put she's got something like 27 pieces of oh work of mine. <laughs> And she bought it, and it was like, absolutely, you can have that one. <laughs> you know, that's definitely yours. And so I didn't have, I, yeah, I was so thrilled. That, and I get to see it sometimes also. Yeah. It's <laughs> nice. It's also really funny when
0: uh, you have a show or something yeah. and people buy the works, and you, you spot which people buy which works, and it yeah. almost reflects their personality. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It suits yeah. them. It's yeah. really
1: interesting. Yeah, and I mean, I had an amazing couple who came to visit me when I first had my open studios here in this studio when we'd not long moved down and they came up from Plymouth to buy some pieces of work that they'd seen online and then they came to the private view and bought some pieces then again so the people who are really properly connecting to you as an artist and you know they they were super excited and it was so much fun just connecting to them so yeah I mean it's an honour when people are prepared to part with their hard-earned cash for your work that's I've never turned that down you know thank you it's such a privilege how do you think your small daily habits influence the work itself I know that's quite a big question yeah hugely I get up every morning and I write morning pages and I've got a little summer house just out in the garden and that's I do that all year even in the winter I've got a little heater in there and we haven't got, I don't know, a massive house that we're living in, but I haven't found my spot to go and do that. And I haven't done it nearly as regularly. And I think that is affecting then the process of my day. So this morning, of course, I was straight down, went down into the summer house, did my um, morning pages and, you know, have a quiet time or whatever. And that's really important. And I'm, I can already feel that's been really important. So those habits those practices you know yeah absolutely mm. are very much part of the structure today. not not in a legalistic way but in a kind of freeing way almost if that makes sense <laughs> it's really freeing to do that
0: so yeah um you know I'm the same I do uh journaling in the morning and I feel like It just gets everything into perspective in terms of... You brain dump and then those that are done and dealt with and out of the way. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll just end with some quick fire questions, if that's okay. Yeah, of
1: course. First thing you do when you wake up? Get up, make a cup of tea, (laughs) and then go out into the garden with the dog (laughs) so that he can do his morning doings. And then I will do my morning pages if I'm in that right rhythm. Yeah. Nice. Last thing you do before you go to sleep? Mm, Depends. Sometimes watch the telly yeah <laughs> you know taskmaster or something nice <laughs> and finally why is living a creative life important to you oh it's because i it's who i am It's who i am there's nothing more to say to that really i guess when i don't and i guess i'm slightly in that phase where it's kind of a little bit unsettled i can feel that i'm not fully me so yeah just it is who i am it's who i've always been i think love that well thank you so oh, much goodness. this has thank been, been you. lovely
0: <laughs> i've loved this chat
1: so cool it's been really nice to hear your thoughts as well
0: actually so yeah. thank you <laughs> if you want to find out more about Deborah's work you can find her on instagram at deb's last, and you can find me at georgie stewart illustration if you enjoyed this episode i'd love for you to share it with a friend or anyone who might find it interesting thank you for listening to creative rituals